twice a day. Hunt for Atlantis. Up and down. Ancient aliens. The local geologist has done a uh, survey for the time and proven that all around the time there was water at, um, at some stage. How did Plato give his measurements? I heard it was something about stadia. It's a Greek measurement, and it, and it comes from, um, I think, stadium. The Greek stadium, where they had games and things, was a standard size. It was a, equivalent to 185 meters. But he gives specific measurements for the size of this hill. He says it's less than a kilometer wide, which this is. Specific measurements from the first canal, which butted up to the walls less of this town. He said that was one stadia wide. Then there was a large earth embankment, that was two stadia wide, then another canal that was two stadia wide, then an embankment that was three stadia, and finally the harbour area, which is three stadia. The local archaeologist said, yes, that's where they think the harbour was. It's very interesting. In your opinion, yeah, how do you think Atlantis was out? built? Well, according to Plato, it was Poseidon. So then, are there any references around here that speak of Poseidon? There is a, a famous uh, Roman villa where there's a big mosaic, which is now in a museum, one of the best in Europe, of Poseidon. According to the ancient astronaut theory, these so-called gods were not gods at all, but flesh and blood extraterrestrials. And if that's true, then Atlantis may not have been a continent, but some kind of an alien base. Shall we go to the next spot? Yeah, let's move on. Let's do it. So, what does the word God mean to you? Well, Plato made it clear that these gods were not some superhuman ethereal being. They were flesh and blood. They were just a little more um, advanced, intelligent. Exactly. And one of the reasons for creating the race was these people would serve them. I think it was built into us in DNA or gene. It was added at the time we were creating to ensure that the people actually worshipped and served these, quote, gods. So how do you think this egg that we just saw plays into that whole story? I think the egg is probably just commemorating that and reminding people where they came from. And this is where it all started, here. At least where Atlantis started. Peter, thank you very much for sharing all this knowledge with me. I mean, this was truly amazing. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let's head out. Okay. Wow, the clues Peter has identified here have given me a lot to think about. Atlantis, to me, is highly fascinating because in those stories you can read how Poseidon sired an entire race with mortal women. That is what the ancient astronaut theory suggests. That a long time ago, we became who we are today due to a targeted artificial mutation of our genes. And that mutation was done and performed by extraterrestrials.
I'm in the mountains of Switzerland near Interlaken, where I'm about to meet the one and only Eric von Daniken, who wrote Chariots of the Gods and 34 additional books challenging human history and conventional archaeology. Eric has invited me to Mystery Park, an educational exhibition dedicated to the ancient astronaut theory. I've collaborated with Eric for over 20 years, and whenever I have a new theory, I always try to run it by him to hear what he has to say. And this... Thanks for 90k! This time, I'm here to talk to him about Atlantis. In your opinion, where do you think the story for Atlantis came from? The whole story which we know from Atlantis came from Plato. Plato's two books, Timaeus and Crition. And there, he quotes an older man with the name Solon. Even though the Greek philosopher Plato wrote the first account of Atlantis that we know of, his account actually revolves around Solon, a great Greek legislator and poet who journeyed to Egypt some 150 years earlier. Plato writes that Solon was in the Egyptian city of Sais in 590 BC, and while in a temple dedicated to the goddess Neith, he was told about a story written on a temple column of the Atlanteans and their military campaign against ancient Egypt and Greece. Unfortunately, remains of this temple have yet to be found. We have some Sumerian cuneiforms, Egyptian Arabic, but they don't date back more to 2400 BC. So all what was before 2000 BC is destroyed, disappeared, probably because of the Great Flood. And Plato, by the way, he says this. He says that there were destructions of the whole planet, and everything disappeared. In London, we have this uh, stone block called BB444. It's the so-called Sumerian kings list. The first ten kings before the Great Flood, they ruled together over 400 thousand years. So the story is definitely older than the old Egypt, the Atlantis story. In 1900, Hermann Hilprecht excavated a temple library in the ancient holy city of Nippur, Iraq. Within it, a 4,000-year-old cuneiform tablet was discovered listing all the Sumerian kings since the dawn of time. Since then, at least 18 other versions have been found. Though none are identical, they all seem to derive from one ideal source. According to the Sumerian kings list, the early kings descended from the skies and each ruled for thousands of years. Then, just as in the book of Genesis, and what some proposed was the fate of Atlantis, cities were swallowed up and the kings who followed were mortals who ruled for dozens but no longer for thousands of years. While mainstream scholars maintain that the Sumerian kings list is a mix of fact and mythology, I tend to wonder, what if it is real? It could be evidence that the so-called gods or kings were in fact extraterrestrials.
When I was in Portugal, I met with author Peter Daughtry, and in his book, he proposed the idea that maybe Atlantis was in this place called Silves. And one of the things that he showed me was this megalithic egg, and on it, it had almost what could be interpreted as a DNA helix. How do you propose that ancient man knew about this DNA in old Sumerian time, in old Egyptian time? They knew nothing about genetic. They knew nothing about DNA. So, who were the teacher again? Who told them? It's always the same question. You have Sumerian so-called silver seals. And there you see flying beings, humans with wings. They, by the way, have always watches on their arms. And you see, DNA has always four bases. And if you see closer the so-called tree of life, and the two winged gods are changing out some of these bases to create something new. Something was changed in the course of evolution. And you can prove this even in all writings. My conversation with Eric definitely blows my mind. Because what he suggests is that the story of Atlantis may date back thousands of years before Plato. And that the people who lived there even had advanced knowledge of genetics. So as I'm looking at all these different ideas for Atlantis, where do you recommend I go next? Go to Santorini. Here, listen around what they tell about Atlantis and what they show you. Perfect. I shall do that. Thank you very much. Now that I've spoken with Eric, I am more convinced than ever that I'm on the right path. But if Atlantis was indeed an advanced civilization that passed on its technology and knowledge to the local population, what happened to it? Was it destroyed by some natural disaster, like an earthquake or a volcano? Or was it something else, something out of this world? For my last stop, I've traveled to the Greek island of Santorini an island in the Mediterranean. It is all that remains of a much larger landmass that was destroyed by a huge volcanic eruption thousands of years ago. And there are many who believe it to be the actual location of the lost island of Atlantis. At this point, I'm beginning to think that there may be something much more to the story of Atlantis than anyone can imagine. Something so incredible that I myself can hardly believe it. So, to help me explore my theory, I'm meeting with Greek writer and Atlantis investigator Jonathan Bright. I mean, perfect place to meet. The most magical island in the world, and I can't wait to find out what you have to tell me. So, what do you think happened here to Santorini and when? the eruption which happened around 1600 BC, this uh, whole part went down. What has convinced many researchers that Santorini was once the actual location of Atlantis is its unique semicircular shape. But although it certainly bears a similarity to Plato's description of a circular island, much of it appears to have been destroyed by a volcano thousands of years ago. Our first stop in Santorini is the ruins of the once wealthy Minoan seaport of Akrotiri. 
When the volcano here erupted approximately 3,600 years ago, Akrotiri was covered in ash and preserved in time, just like Pompeii in Italy. It's truly amazing. Akrotiri was occupied as far back as 4,000 BC, and the ancient buildings here suggest a highly advanced society equipped with surprisingly sophisticated technology for the time. Three-story high buildings featuring hot and cold water, and there's even evidence of four different languages spoken here. But could this really be Atlantis, the mythical city that suddenly vanished in a single day and night? Do you know if any bodies were found here? Like, for example, at Pompeii after the eruption, yeah. after Vesuvius, has something similar been found here in the ash? There are no bodies that have been dug up from this place. Really? No yes. bodies have been no. dug up? It's kind of a mystery here. I mean, that's very strange. It's as if they had foresight that this eruption might happen. Mm -hmm. The ruins of Akrotiri clearly show evidence of advanced architecture, concepts of an organized society, and perhaps even the knowledge of a pending disaster that might destroy the island. What do you think are some of the most interesting finds that have been discovered here? There are many important uh, frescoes that have been found in the uh, walls. I have some things to say about this, but I would better show you the proper place to say that. Let's go. As Jonathan and I are headed over to see the Akrotiri frescoes, I was reminded of the ancient legends about an advanced race of supposedly mythical beings called the Telkines. According to Greek mythology, the Telkines were sea creatures with flippers for hands and heads that looked like dogs. They were eventually destroyed because the so-called gods feared they were becoming too powerful. But what makes the Telkines particularly interesting is that according to legend, it was they who raised Poseidon from childhood and also used their advanced metallurgy skills to make his powerful trident. Is it possible that these hybrid beings were the real architects of Atlantis? The elaborate frescoes at Akrotiri are believed to date from before 1600 BC. Truly something else. Many depict city scenes, a goddess with a winged griffin, and even blue monkeys making offerings. Very interesting. But what really caught my eye was one that featured a number of mysterious men dressed in feathers, almost like feather cloaks. But were they priests, kings, or could they have been depictions of angels or other winged beings like, for example, the Anunnaki? Had I found Atlantis after all? Or something that may have been directly inspired by it? Nevertheless, one thing is certain. Something powerful definitely happened at Akrotiri. <laughs> the more pieces of the puzzle I gather, the more I get to see the full picture. And I find it interesting that once again, here in Santorini, some things fit Plato's clues about Atlantis, 
but some don't. The final destination on my hunt for Atlantis is the very top of the island of Santorini. It's a real hike, but the views are definitely worth it. And so are the mysterious megaliths found there. What would compel an ancient people to build such a large complex on top of a mountain? Check out this wall right here. We're on Santorini at the highest peak in an ancient site called Ancient Thera. And this wall right here is, as you can tell, massive. Walls like this not only exist in Greece, but in Italy, in Spain, in Egypt, and halfway across the world in South America. So the fact that this wall exists here at one of the most inaccessible places seems like it is insane. There had to have been a reason why this is here. And that is, what if those stories of the Greek gods descending from the skies really at some point were true? Further down the mountain, I met once again with writer Jonathan Bright and discovered that he has an interesting take on how Santorini might be linked to the legend of Atlantis. This place reminds me of uh, the Enochian story where um, in the beginning we see that uh, a group of angels descends on uh, the summit of a mountain, Mount Hermon, the mythical mount, and like Poseidon we see in Plato's story that did, and they make children with him, they get children by them. Mount Hermon is in the Golan Heights between Israel and Lebanon. According to the Book of Enoch, a group of so-called watchers descended here and mated with local women. And this is exactly the same story Plato writes about concerning Atlantis, where Poseidon sired an entire race. It happens also that in the place that they call the Wheel of Giants, there is a, a huge monument from 5,000 years old now, mm -hmm. with concentric circles and the high walls of stones. The same tradition that we see related to Atlantis. That's very interesting. And you know, and of course, the legends that are corresponding with this place up here are very interesting that something significant, something quote-unquote sacred happened up here a very long time ago. And they weren't angels in the sense as we think of angels today. Meeting with Jonathan and coming to Santorini has helped me to see Atlantis from a whole new perspective. I'm starting to think that what if Plato's stories about Atlantis are directly linked to similar stories about the arrival of the gods that appear to have occurred on mountaintops such as Mount Hermon and other mountains all around the world. I'm also reminded of the Greek legend of Asteria, the titan goddess of falling stars. In order to escape the advances of Zeus, she turned into a quail and then flung herself into the sea where she transformed into a magical island. 
Jonathan, if you're still part of the Leo Tuchronosu, and if you learn anything new in the hunt for Atlantis, let me know, and thank you very much for showing me all these different places. It's been a true honor. Thank you very much. What an amazing journey. The hunt for Atlantis has taken me to Athens, Portugal, Switzerland, and Santorini, an island in the Mediterranean. And I've had the chance to meet with some really cool researchers. But this last stop has me convinced that the lost city of Atlantis was probably not an island at all, but maybe some sort of a flying craft. Perhaps this is why Atlantis has been reported to have existed at various locations around the globe. Why it seemingly disappeared in one day and one night, and why no evidence of it has ever been found. Could it be that the powerful influence of the Atlantean, perhaps extraterrestrial culture and highly advanced technology inspired early humans to copy them? To build cities to. on the same spots <clears throat> where their craft once landed and even worshiped them as gods of course my theory will still require more investigation and hopefully proof the planet we live on is billions of years old but we humans walk the earth for only an instant shouldn't we spend our brief time here asking questions what if we could discover amazing things if only we would just open our eyes challenge our minds and pursue the truth in search of aliens fucking hours cussing mugs takes me fucking hours fucking hours Cuss that much, cause it takes me fucking hours. Fucking hours. Alright, so yeah, that was freaking rad. Um, in search of, ooh, cool. In search of aliens, the mystery of the Cyclops called. Um, episode six, full episodes, one year ago, Mr. Channel. It really is possible to get a grant to help you buy a home in Arizona. Arizona's home buying grants. In <sighs> Cost much, cause it takes me fucking hours. Ancient and mysterious islands in the world, Malta. It was here that a prehistoric society built megalithic structures using massive blocks. These blocks were arranged into complex designs and are considered by scholars to be older than the Great Pyramid in Egypt. But after a period of 1,000 years, all activity on Malta stopped and any trace of the people who built these incredible structures vanished. But why? Fucking hours. There are stories that say Malta was once home to giants and even a oh, race cool. of legendary one-eyed creatures known as Cyclops. Could these stories offer clues as Fucking to what really happened on the islands of Malta? 
premise so, of the flood was to get rid of the giants. To ancient astronauts. My name is Giorgio Tsoukalos. Tsoukalos. I explore the world that exists between reality and speculation, the known and the unknown. What we've been taught by mainstream scholars is not the whole picture. But I'm convinced that every day we are one step closer to the truth. Fuck it up. Ah. Wow. I've traveled almost 7,000 miles to a place that has puzzled archaeologists for more than a century. Lying just south of Sicily, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, the islands of Malta have been of strategic importance from the times of ancient Greece all the way through to the Second World War. This small and densely populated country covers only 122 square miles, but it is as rich with mystery as any place on Earth. Yeah, the islands of Malta like contain no less than seven megalithic structures, and quite possibly they are the largest freestanding stones in the world. To this day, archaeologists struggle to explain how ancient people living on secluded islands were able to accomplish such incredible architectural feats. So I'm here to find out if there may be an explanation that the mainstream has not yet considered. One that possibly has a connection to giant one-eyed beings, the Cyclops. In the epic Greek poem, The Odyssey, written by Homer in the 8th century BC, the hero Odysseus encounters a cyclops named Polyphemus, a giant, one-eyed, human-like creature that, according to legend, was the son of Poseidon, the god of the seas. Now, while Homer never specified where the cyclops lived, there are some who believe that the giant monster and others of his kind might have actually dwelled right here, within Malta's megalithic structures. Hmm. To begin my investigation, I went to examine Malta's famous so-called cart ruts, which some ancient astronaut theorists refer to as the Nazca Lines of Europe, like the because they are just as mysterious. There are over 100 sites on Malta that have these ruts or giant pairs of grooves in the rock. Like the ones here at St. George's Bay on Malta's southeast coast. The mainstream theory on how these strange markings were formed is that the wheels of heavily laden carts compressed the limestone over a long period of time. Now. For that theory to be true, the wheels of the carts would have had to be of identical size and width. And they would have had to follow the exact same path over and over and over, never deviating. Otherwise, they would not form such precise ruts. But quite frankly, I think such a notion is nonsense. On average, these cart ruts are about 1.4 meters wide which translates to about four feet and seven inches. So let's see how wide 
these are. So right here, these are a bit narrower. This is four feet and four inches. And from end to end, we're talking five feet and three inches. So it all depends how wide those tracks are. For example, right here, they're about three and a half inches, or actually three inches in this part. And then up here, and we have seven inches. So if it were just a cart, then one could surmise that the width is the same at all times. So how were these the deep width. and precise grooves made? And why? Perhaps there is a link between pulling. these strange markings and the stories these of giants, giants here on Malta. Pulling. But how the... Did you know that in Texas, rifles can be carried in public without a license? Whereas in Florida, so much, no open carrying is allowed, except in unique situations hours, like in hunting or fishing. Hours. Hi, I'm Koei on Noir, a pro 2A attorney with over 2 million YouTube subscribers. I don't know but how the grooves were made is only part of the mystery because these cartlets go straight into the Mediterranean. Archaeologists are puzzled by this because divers have determined that these cartlets go about 42 meters into the sea which is about 46 yards. One area located on Malta's southwest coast has so many mysterious ruts. A visiting Englishman nicknamed it after the busy Clapham Junction railway station in London. Hi, how you doing? Not so bad. All right. To help me find some answers, I've arranged to meet with author Gordon Weston who wrote a book about the so-called cart ruts in 2010. Gordon, here we are at Clapham Junction. So, you know, lay it on me. Tell me what you think. Well, let's go there. What do you got, a half a lifetime? Absolutely, yes. Basically, you couldn't drive a cart down here. The cart would be wrecked. Early researchers looked at vehicles that would scrape away the rock because that's what it looks like's happened. There was three devices. The first one was a sledge, probably the oldest form of uh, human transport. But they found that the sledge immediately got stuck. So the two other devices have been looked at. Uh, one was a travoise uh, used by the Plains Indians to transport their teepees from camp to camp. The problem is that poles will be wider than these ruts when they touch the ground. The next device is called a slide car. It's a load platform with two runners on it. This fanciful and ridiculous idea, practical experiments and that thing, it just doesn't work. Gordon and I shared several different theories about the origin and purpose of the ruts, ranging from tracks used in the transportation of megalithic stone blocks to irrigation drains. But ultimately, every single one of these theories is problematic. Science is useless for this problem. There is no methodology which can be applied scientifically to these ruts. There's no way a block could be carried by There's a vehicle. There's no way a block could be carried. Were, um, built. The first temple was built in 3500 BC. The wheeled vehicle only just come into existence then. It certainly wouldn't have been on Malta. Malta was still in the deep Neolithic at that point. 
the presence of these ruts all over Malta is truly inexplicable. And there is one other aspect I took note of at St. George's Bay that baffles me most of all. So in St. George's Bay, in a city called Bersabuja, there are a couple of ruts that go straight into the Mediterranean Sea. Um, they are famous, you're right. It is uh, interesting to see that ruts go into the sea. They also said to have come up on the other side of the bay, but it's now built over. So how do you explain it? More and more, I'm convinced that the people living on Malta were much more technologically advanced than most mainstream scholars believe. But who were they? And how were they connected to ancient stories about so bizarre, one-eyed giants? I'm beginning to believe that these islands have been the home of a highly sophisticated civilization. A civilization that may have actually included extraterrestrials. I'm in the village it. of Crendi, about to meet with Dr. Anthony Bonanno, a professor of archaeology and classical words. literature at the University of Malta. Extraterrestrial is one of the foremost experts on Malta's megalithic temples, so I'm excited to have him help me with my investigation. Hopefully, he can bring me closer to finding out whether or not a legendary race of one-eyed giants known as the Cyclops actually existed here, and if there might even be an extraterrestrial connection. I wanted to ask you that's if anyone believes so that those prehistoric temples hours. might have been built by giants. Yes, there is this association, even in Maltese folklore tradition, between the giants and the temples. There is a legend that the Grantia temples in Goda were built by a giantess, a giant woman. Really? Yes. How old do you think the megalithic structures are? We can speak in terms of a bracket. Certainly between 3600 BC and 2500 BC. There have been claims uh, that they could be older. If what Dr. Bonanno suggests is correct, then these Maltese megaliths are at least so 1,000 years older than the Great Pyramid of Giza. But after seeing Malta's mysterious ruts running straight into the sea, I believe they may date back even further. Perhaps I'll find more evidence at the first site Dr. Bonanno is taking me to, the temples of Menydra located on the rugged and isolated south coast of Malta. This complex consists of three stone structures that are laid out in the pattern of a trefoil. That is to say, structures which have three interconnected circular chambers. Malta is a fairly small island, but the ratio of how many... There's a big government scandal going on that you need to know about it. The government is actually stealing money from unsuspecting property owners. The ratio of how many megalithic temples exist here on this island is astounding, so...
I, such a small island and that many prehistoric megalithic temples? This is a question which we find difficult to, to answer. The concentration is normally um, attributable to some sort of internal rivalry, uh, which spurred on this mad idea of building one temple after another. Mad idea, I like that. You know, people have been possessed to build this. People must have had a compelling reason to carry all these stones, to put them into place. Do you think this structure was built with anything astronomical in mind, with observing of the constellations? It has been confirmed that the entrance is actually uh, orientated towards the rising sun at the equinoxes. But you have also similar alignments in the solstices where the rays of the rising sun hit the edge of these blocks here. In his paper, Manidra, a calendar in stone, Maltese investigator Paul Mitalev concluded that Manidra was built around 10,200 BC. He came to this conclusion because based on the tilt of the earth at that point in time, on the morning of the summer solstice, a beam of light would have come through the main entrance of the Manidra temple and been cast directly on the center of an altar stone. The only way this could be achieved is if the monolith at Manidra was placed specifically and precisely with the end effect in mind. Now what fascinates me is the fact that megalithic structures can be found all over the world and most were carefully constructed to align with the sun. In Macedonia, for example, there's an ancient site known as the Kokino Observatory, which features four stone thrones at the top of a mountain, positioned to track the solstices and equinoxes. In Machu Picchu, there is a stone temple with three trapezoidal windows also positioned to align with the sun during the solstices and equinoxes. Legends say that by looking through them, the mind can connect with other realms. But perhaps the most fascinating connection of all can be found on the northwest coastline of France. Here, a collection of over 3,000 massive rocks, called the Karnak Stones, align with both the summer and winter solstices. But even more incredible are ancient legends that claim that the standing stones were actually placed there by giants. Just like the legends of Wizard. giants we find in Malta. What are some of the biggest Sun blocks that you're aware of that have once existed here? Wizard. We have a much larger stone. Uh, we have Gandalf. one particular one at, at Hajar Im, which is um, estimated to weigh about 20 tons. And we have a series of them. Uh, of the same order uh, up in Shantia and Gozo. It's just mind-boggling, really yes, amazing yes. stuff. Between cart ruts that go into the sea and a megalithic temple that could date back more than 10,000 years, I'm beginning to see just how Malta could connect to stories about a race of one-eyed giants known as the Cyclops. But before I can draw any conclusions, I still need to gather more evidence. I'm exploring the tiny Mediterranean islands of Malta. Looking Lucky for evidence you. 
that the legendary Cyclops may have lived here thousands of years ago. As my search for clues continues, Dr. Bonanno is now taking Bonanno. me to the Temple of Hajarim, which contains what is possibly the largest monolith on the island. What does Hajarim actually mean? Hajarim means stones, and Im could either be the uh, worship or standing. So, stones of worship or standing stones. Like this one? Uh, yes. Check this out. This is huge. Yes, sir. Uh, Three meters high by six meters fifty wide and about another meter thick. That makes about twenty odd tons. Minimum. Minimum, yes. Twenty tons is around forty thousand pounds. That's the combined weight of sixteen mid-sized cars. I'm always fascinated by the fact that giant monoliths were erected by various ancient cultures all over the world. For example, you can find them at Stonehenge in England, Karagunj in southern Romania, and as far away as Easter Island. So you have to ask yourself how and why were so-called technologically primitive people erecting these enormous stone monoliths without the help of any large machinery. This is incredible. So, this is one of the largest freestanding stones. I mean, you know, when I see stuff like this, that's when I wonder how, how did they carry it? How did they, they quarry it in this case? Yes, it must have Yeah, I mean, so how do you think these stones were brought here? Yeah, they must have been dragged on. I'm curious to see how I got paid $2,317. Not at all, dude. Without lifting a finger. Go away. Yeah, they must have been dragged on a spread of roller stones. While some mainstream archaeologists uh. suggest that giant blocks of stone were moved from quarries to the temples with the use of carts that ran along the so-called cart ruts, others claim that they were moved by placing them on the top of stone balls and hauling across the countryside. But while it's true that a number of spherical stones have been found at Malta's megalithic temples, it still doesn't explain why it's an idea. such enormous stones were even used in the first place. You know, when I see this, I mean, it's just this massive rock. But, you know, the, the weight, I just don't know if the spheres would have withstood... 20 tons of yes. because the spheres were, were made of limestone too. And the rough surface would explain why these spheres were actually different sizes, different diameters, but we've never Still discovered. Bring it here and then just yes, you know, it. heaving it up. This is another one. Yeah, it's like just this obelisk just standing. It's about more than 15 oh, feet, yeah. 16 feet uh, tall. Mm -hmm. I'm still in awe of the size and complexity of Hajarim. I mean, a 17-foot-tall monolith? How did supposedly primitive Stone Age people move something this enormous? Today, we would use the most advanced of heavy machinery. And so, the idea that some other type of technology was used becomes very plausible. The idea that these structures today are considered to be temples implies worship. Who did they worship? 
the gods. Well, in my opinion, that is when the questioning begins. Because we have to then ask ourselves, who were these gods? Oh, there's something else I would like to tell yeah? you. Yeah. I'm excited to explore the interior of Hajarim because there is something I've heard about within this structure that leads some ancient astronaut theorists to believe that this temple dates back much earlier than 3600 BC. If this proves to be true, it could fall in line with the evidence I've already discovered that could indicate a civilization existed on Malta as far back as 12,000 years ago. Right, uh, so beyond a long corridor, covered corridor, we open up into a uh, courtyard flanked by two apses, one on each side, and each apse is accessible through a porthole entrance. That's one, and on the opposite side we have another one here, okay, with the usual rope poles, and it is in this place that the famous Venus of Malta, about that size, was discovered. So this is where it was discovered? Right, right. Okay. According to Dr. Bonanno, many mainstream scholars believe the Venus of Malta is approximately 5,000 years old. But I find that very hard to believe because this clay figurine bears a striking similarity to one I've seen that is much, much older. In 1908, almost 70 years after the Venus of Malta was discovered, a nearly identical statuette was found in Austria called the Venus of Willendorf. It bears uncanny similarities to the Venus of Malta in both subject matter and its exaggerated style. But what I also find truly incredible is that the Venus of Willendorf has been determined to be at least 25,000 years old. The implications of this... Hmm? What happened to her head? I'm still in awe of the size and complexity of Hajarim. I mean, a 17-foot-tall monolith? How did supposedly primitive Stone Age people move something this enormous? A 17-foot-tall monolith? How did supposedly primitive Stone Age people move something this enormous? Today, we would use the most advanced of heavy machinery. And so, the idea that some other type of technology was used becomes very plausible. And the idea that these structures today are considered to be temples implies worship that they worship the gods. Well, in my opinion, that is when the question begins. Because we ask ourselves, who were these gods? So, you know something else I would like to tell yeah. I'm excited to explore the interior of Hagarim because there is something I've heard about within this structure that leads some ancient astronaut theorists to believe that this temple dates back much earlier than 3600 BC. If this proves to be true, it could fall in line with the evidence I've already discovered that could indicate a civilization existed on Malta as far back as 12,000 years ago. Right. Uh, so
Breakfasts are either too good to be nutritious or too nutritious to be good. skeletons were supposedly lost. But I have actually seen an old grainy photo of some of them, and they definitely appeared to have elongated skulls, similar to those found in ancient Egypt and as far away as Peru. Luckily, a few of the elongated skulls that were found in the hypogeum were sent to Malta's National Museum of Archaeology shortly after they were discovered. In 1907, they were put on display and caused a sensation. Many believe that they offered proof that the stories of giants inhabiting Malta were true. Some even speculated that the skulls were of extraterrestrial origin. I'm really stoked to go and check out the archaeology museum here in Valletta because who knows, maybe they will allow me to see those skulls. I'll check this out. It's a model of the hypergeum. So you can see how vast of a complex it is with spiral staircases, different levels, and all hewn out of the bedrock. I mean, how cool is this? It's interesting to come up with different ideas, but once you see the whole extent of it, some explanations all of a sudden don't make any sense. Really cool stuff. 
Vanessa? Yes. Good to meet you. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. This is great. The Archaeology Museum holds interesting artifacts from Malta's megalithic sites, including the remains of what looks like the statue of a giant female, and even an oversized cup. But today, I'm here to investigate the mysterious skulls. You know, I was just at the Hypogeum, and they actually recommended that I should come and talk to you about some skulls that have been found there. So, would you allow me to see those? Them to your yes. Office. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. What an incredible privilege. When 11 skulls found in the hypogeum were examined in 1912, they were found to have significant differences from normal human skulls. Certain cultures, for example, in ancient Egypt or in Peru, where you actually find these elongated skulls. In 1928, 300 elongated skulls were discovered in Caracas, Peru, and were estimated to be more than 3,000 years old. Now, mainstream archaeologists believe that elongated skulls were achieved by ancient people wrapping boards around the heads of infants shortly after birth to create an appearance of nobility. But ancient astronaut theorists have another interpretation, one that suggests that some of the skulls were an attempt to emulate or copy the so-called gods. As you can see even from the inside, there is no sign of the middle suture. Right. Completely fused. That's fascinating. The bones of the human skull are joined together by sutures, joints formed by ossification. The sagittal suture connects the sides and roof of the cranium. This suture is open when a person is born and closes around the age of 35. But the hypogeum skulls seem to not have a sagittal suture. But how and why? These skulls are referred to as the elongated skulls. Like we said, this one in particular, especially, seems to be longer, which is quite unusual. Many times of keeping them secret, but 
there, there remains uh, the evidence. Yeah, why, why are these not on display? They aren't on display yet. Yet. Unfortunately, they haven't been studied yet. They were discovered about 100 years ago. That's the first thing you should study right here. So are there any plans of potentially doing any DNA testing on these to determine the origin and things like that? Unfortunately, these have Hunt for Atlantis, ancient aliens. The local geologist has done a uh, survey for the time and proven that all around the time there was water at, um, at some stage. How did Plato give his measurements? I heard it was something about stadia. It's a Greek measurement and it, and it comes from, um, I think, stadium. The Greek stadium where they had games and things was a standard size. There was a equivalent to 185 meters but he gives specific measurements for the size yeah, of this hill he says it's less than a kilometer wide which this is specific measurements from the first canal which butted up to the walls less of this town he said that was one stadia wide then there was a large earth embankment that was two stadia wide then another canal that was two stadia wide then an embankment that was three stadia and finally the harbor area which is three stadia the local archaeologist said, yes, that's where they think the armor was. It's very interesting. In your opinion, yeah, how do you think Atlantis was out? built? Well, according to Plato, it was Poseidon. So then, are there any references around here that speak of Poseidon? There is a, a famous uh, Roman villa where there's a big mosaic, which is now in a museum, one of the best in Europe, of Poseidon. According to the ancient astronaut theory, these so-called gods were not gods at all, but flesh and blood extraterrestrials. And if that's true, then Atlantis may not have been a continent, but some kind of an alien base. Shall we go to the next spot? Yeah, let's move on. Let's do it. Plato made it clear that these gods were not some superhuman ethereal being. They were flesh and blood. They were just a little more um, advanced, intelligent. Exactly. And one of the reasons for creating the race was these people would serve them. I think it was built into us in DNA or gene. It was added at the time we were creating to ensure that the people actually worshipped and served these, quote, gods. So how do you think this egg that we just saw plays into that whole story? I think the egg is probably just commemorating that and reminding people where they came from. And this is where it all started, here. Or at least where Atlanta started. Peter, thank you very much for sharing all this knowledge with me. I mean, this was truly amazing, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let's head out. Okay. Wow, the clues Peter has identified here have given me a lot to think about. Atlantis, to me, is highly fascinating because in those stories you can read how Poseidon sired an entire race with mortal women. 
that is what the ancient astronaut theory suggests. That a long time ago, we became who we are today due to a targeted artificial mutation of our genes. And that mutation was done and performed by extraterrestrials. I'm in the mountains of Switzerland near Interlaken, where I'm about to meet the one and only Eric von Daniken, who wrote Chariots of the Gods and 34 additional books challenging human history and conventional archaeology. Eric has invited me to Mystery Park, an educational exhibition dedicated to the ancient astronaut theory. I've collaborated with Eric for over 20 years, and whenever I have a new theory, I always try to run it by him to hear what he has to say. And this... Holden, leave for gas. Thanks for 90k. This time, I'm here to talk to him about Atlantis. In your opinion, where do you think the story for Atlantis came from? The whole story which we know from Atlantis came from Platon. Platon's two books, Timaeus and Critio. And there he quotes an older man with the name Solon. Even though the Greek philosopher Plato wrote the first account of Atlantis that we know of, his account actually revolves around Solon, a great Greek legislator and poet who journeyed to Egypt some 150 years earlier. Plato writes, that Solon was in the Egyptian city of Sais in 590 BC, and while in a temple dedicated to the goddess Naif, he was told about a story written on a temple column of the Atlanteans and their military campaign against ancient Egypt and Greece. Unfortunately, remains of this temple have yet to be found. We have some Sumerian cuneiform, Egyptian hieroglyphs, but they don't date back more to 2400 BC. So all what was before 2000 BC is destroyed, disappeared, probably because of the great flood. And Plato, by the way, he says this. He says that there were destructions of the whole planet, that everything disappeared. In London, we have this uh, stone block called BB444. It's the so-called Sumerian kings list. The first ten kings before the Great Flood, they ruled together over 400,000 years. So the story is definitely older than the old Egypt, the Atlantis story. In 1900, Hermann Hilprecht excavated a temple library in the ancient holy city of Nippur, Iraq. Within it, a 4,000-year-old cuneiform tablet was discovered, listing all the Sumerian kings since the dawn of time. Since then, at least 18 other versions have been found. Though none are identical, they all seem to derive from one ideal source. According to the Sumerian kings list, the early kings descended from the skies, and each ruled for thousands of years. Then, just as in the book of Genesis, and what some proposed was the fate of Atlantis, cities were swallowed up 
and the kings which followed were mortals who ruled for dozens, but no longer for thousands of years. While mainstream scholars maintain that the Sumerian kings list is a mix of fact and mythology, I tend to wonder, what if it is real? It could be evidence that the so-called gods or kings were in fact extraterrestrials. When I was in Portugal, I met with author Peter Daughtry, and in his book, he proposed the idea that maybe Atlantis was in this place called Silge. And one of the things that he showed me was this megalithic egg, and on it, it had almost what could be interpreted as a DNA helix. How do you propose that ancient man knew about this DNA in old Sumerian time, in old Egyptian time? They knew nothing about genetic. They knew nothing about DNA. So, who were the teacher again? Who told them? It's always the same question. You have Sumerian so-called silver seals. But there you see flying beings, humans with wings. They, by the way, have always watches on their arms. And you see, DNA has always four bases. And if you see closer, the so-called tree of life, and the two winged gods are changing out some of these bases to create something new. Something was changed in the course of evolution. And you can prove this even in old writings. My conversation with Eric definitely blows my mind because what he suggests is that the story of Atlantis may date back thousands of years before Plato and that the people who lived there even had advanced knowledge of genetics. So as I'm looking at all these different ideas for Atlantis, where do you recommend I go next? Go to Santorini. Here, listen around what they tell about Atlantis and what they show you. Perfect. I shall do that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good. Now that I've spoken with Eric, I am more convinced than ever that I'm on the right path. But if Atlantis was indeed an advanced civilization that passed on its technology and knowledge to the local population, what happened to it? Was it destroyed by some natural disaster, like an earthquake or a volcano? Or was it something else, something out of this world? For my last stop, I've traveled to the Greek island of Santorini, an island in the Mediterranean. It is all that remains of a much larger landmass that was destroyed by a huge volcanic eruption thousands of years ago. And there are many who believe it to be the actual location of the lost island of Atlantis. At this point, I'm beginning to think that there may be something much more to the story of Atlantis than anyone can imagine. Something so incredible that I myself can hardly believe it. So, to help me explore my theory, I'm meeting with Greek writer and Atlantis investigator, Jonathan Bright. I mean, perfect place to meet. The most magical island in the world, and I can't wait to find out what you have to tell me. So what do you think happened here to Santorini, and when? During the eruption, which happened around 1600 BC, this uh, whole part went down. What has convinced many researchers that Santorini was once the actual location of Atlantis 
is its unique semicircular shape. But although it certainly bears a similarity to Plato's description of a circular island, much of it appears to have been destroyed by a volcano thousands of years ago. Our first stop in Santorini is the ruins of the once wealthy Minoan seaport of Akrotiri. When the volcano here erupted approximately 3,600 years ago, Akrotiri was covered in ash and preserved in time, just like Pompeii in Italy. Truly amazing. Akrotiri was occupied as far back as 4000 BC, and the ancient buildings here suggest a highly advanced society equipped with surprisingly sophisticated technology for the time. Three-story high buildings featuring hot and cold water, and there's even evidence of four different languages spoken here. But could this really be Atlantis? the mythical city that suddenly vanished in a single day and night. Do you know if any bodies were found here? Like, for example, at Pompeii after the eruption, yeah. after Vesuvius, has something similar been found here in the ash? There are no bodies that have been dug up from this place. Really? No yeah. bodies have been no, dug up? it's kind of a mystery here. I mean, that's very strange. It's as if they had foresight that this eruption might happen. Mm -hmm. The ruins of Akrotiri clearly show evidence of advanced architecture, concepts of an organized society, and perhaps even the knowledge of a pending disaster that might destroy the island. What do you think are some of the most interesting finds that have been discovered here? There are many important uh, frescoes that have been found in the walls. I have some things to say about this, but I would better show you the proper place to take. Let's go. As Jonathan and I are headed over to see the Akrotiri frescoes, I was reminded of the ancient legends about an advanced race of supposedly mythical beings called the Telkines. According to Greek mythology, the Telkines were sea creatures with flippers for hands and heads that looked like dogs. They were eventually destroyed because the so-called gods feared they were becoming too powerful. But what makes the Telkines particularly interesting is that according to legend, it was they who raised Poseidon from childhood and also used their advanced metallurgy skills to make his powerful trident. Is it possible that these hybrid beings were the real architects of Atlantis? Really, really great. The elaborate frescoes at Akrotiri are believed to date from before 1600 BC. Truly something else. Many depict city scenes, a goddess with a winged griffin, and even blue monkeys making offerings. Very interesting. But what really caught my eye was one that featured a number of mysterious men dressed in feathers, almost like feather cloaks. But were they priests, kings, or could they have been depictions of angels or other winged beings like, for example, the Anunnaki? Had I found Atlantis after all? Or 
something that may have been directly inspired by it. Nevertheless, one thing is certain. Something powerful definitely happened at Akrotiri. The more pieces of the puzzle I gather, the more I get to see the full picture. And I find it interesting that once again, here in Santorini, some things fit Plato's clues about Atlantis, but some don't. The final destination on my hunt for Atlantis is the very top of the island of Santorini. It's a real hike, but the views are definitely worth it. And so are the mysterious megaliths found there. What would compel an ancient people to build such a large complex on top of a mountain? Check out this wall right here. We're on Santorini at the highest peak in an ancient site called Ancient Thera. And this wall right here is, as you can tell, massive. Walls like this not only exist in Greece, but in Italy, in Spain, in Egypt, and halfway across the world in South America. So the fact that this wall exists here at one of the most inaccessible places seems like it is insane. There had to have been a reason why this is here. And that is, what if those stories of the Greek gods descending from the skies really at some point were true? down the mountain, I met once again with writer Jonathan Bright and discovered that he has an interesting take on how Santorini might be linked to the legend of Atlantis. This place reminds me of uh, the Enochian story where um, in the beginning we see that uh, a group of angels descends on uh, the summit of a mountain, Mount Hermon, the mythical mount, and like Poseidon we see in Plato's story that did, and they made children with him, they became children by them. Mount Hermon is in the Golan Heights between Israel and Lebanon. According to the Book of Enoch, a group of so-called watchers descended here and mated with local women. And this is exactly the same story Plato writes about concerning Atlantis, where Poseidon sired an entire race. Happens also that in the place that they call the Wheel of Giants, there is a, a huge monument from 5,000 years old now, mm -hmm. with concentric circles and the high walls of stones. The same tradition that we see related to Atlantis. That's very interesting, and you know, and of course, the legends that are corresponding with this place up here are very interesting. That something significant something quote-unquote sacred happened up here a very long time ago and they weren't angels in the sense as we think of angels today meeting with jonathan and coming to santorini has helped me to see atlantis from a whole new perspective i'm starting to think that what if plato's stories about atlantis are directly linked 
to similar stories about the arrival of the gods that appear to have occurred on mountaintops such as Mount Hermon and other mountains all around the world. I'm also reminded of the Greek legend of Asteria, the titan goddess of falling stars. In order to escape the advances of Zeus, she turned into a quail and then flung herself into the sea where she transformed into a magical island. Jonathan Christofana Poliotochronosu, and if you learn anything new in the hunt for Atlantis, let me know, and thank you very much for showing me all these different places. It's been a true honor. Thank you very much. What an amazing journey. The hunt for Atlantis has taken me to Athens, Portugal, Switzerland, and Santorini, an island in the Mediterranean. And I've had the chance to meet with some really cool researchers. But this last stop has me convinced that the lost city of Atlantis was probably not an island at all, but maybe some sort of a flying craft. Perhaps this is why Atlantis has been reported to have existed at various locations around the globe. Why it seemingly disappeared in one day and one night, and why no evidence of it has ever been found. Could it be that the powerful influence of the Atlantean, perhaps extraterrestrial culture and highly advanced technology inspired early humans to copy them? To build cities to. on the same spots <clears throat> where their craft once landed and even worship them as gods. Of course, my theory will still require more investigation and hopefully proof. The planet we live on is billions of years old, but we humans walk the Earth for only an instant. Shouldn't we spend our brief time here asking questions? What if we could discover amazing things if only we would just open our eyes, challenge our minds, and pursue the truth in search of aliens. Fucking hours Cussing much Cussing much Takes me fucking hours Fucking hours Cuss that much cause it takes me fucking hours. Fucking hours. Alright, so yeah, that was fucking rad. Um, in search of, ooh, cool. In search of aliens, the mystery of the Cyclops called... Um, episode six full episodes one year ago history channel it really is possible to get a grant to help you buy a home in arizona arizona's home buying grants and <sighs> cost so much because it takes me Hello, fucking hours ancient and mysterious islands in the world malta was here that a prehistoric society built megalithic structures awesome using places. massive blocks. These blocks were arranged into complex designs and are considered by scholars to be older than the Great Pyramid in Egypt. Uh. 
But after a period of 1,000 years, all activity on Malta stopped. And any trace of the people who built these incredible structures vanished. But why? Fucking hours. There are stories that say Malta was once home to giants and even a oh, race cool. of legendary one-eyed creatures known as Cyclops. Could these stories offer clues as Fucking to what really hours. happened on the islands of Malta? Probably and if so, could there also be a connection to ancient astronauts? My name is Giorgio Tsoukalos. Tsoukalos. I explore the world that exists between reality and speculation. The known and the unknown. What we've been taught by mainstream scholars is not the whole picture. But I'm convinced that every day we are one step closer to the truth. Fucking traveled almost 7,000 miles to a place that has puzzled archaeologists for more than a century. Lying just south of Sicily, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, the islands of Malta have been of strategic importance from the times of ancient Greece all the way through to the Second World War. This small and densely populated country covers only 122 square miles, but it is as rich with mystery as any place on Earth. Shit, the islands of Malta like contain no less than seven megalithic structures, and quite possibly, they are the largest freestanding stones in the world. To this day, archaeologists struggle to explain how ancient people living on secluded islands were able to accomplish such incredible architectural feats. So I'm here to find out if there may be an explanation that the mainstream has not yet considered. One that possibly has a connection to giant one-eyed beings, the Cyclops. In the epic Greek poem, The Odyssey, written by Homer in the 8th century BC, the hero Odysseus encounters a cyclops named Polyphemus, a giant, one-eyed, human-like creature that, according to legend, was the son of Poseidon, the god of the seas. Now, while Homer never specified where the cyclops lived, there are some who believe that the giant monster and others of his kind might have actually dwelled right here within Malta's megalithic structures. Hmm. To begin my investigation, I went to examine Malta's famous so-called cart ruts, which some ancient astronaut theorists refer to as the Nazca lines of Europe. Like the meaning. Because they are just as mysterious. There are over 100 sites on Malta that have these ruts or giant pairs of grooves in the rock. Like the ones here at St. George's Bay on Malta's southeast coast. The mainstream theory on how these strange markings were formed is that the wheels of heavily laden carts compressed the limestone over a long period of time. Now, 
For that theory to be true, the wheels of the carts would have had to be of identical size and width. And they would have had to follow the exact same path over and over and over, never deviating. Otherwise, they would not form such precise ruts. But quite frankly, I think such a notion is nonsense. On average, these cart ruts are about 1.4 meters wide which translates to about four feet and seven inches. So let's see how wide these are. So right here, these are a bit narrower. This is four feet and four inches. And from end to end, we're talking five feet and three inches. So it all depends how wide those tracks are. For example, right here, they're about three and a half inches, or actually three inches in this part. And then up here, and we have seven inches. So if it were just a cart, then one could surmise that the width is the same at all times. So how were these the deep width. and precise grooves made, and why? Perhaps there is a link between pulling. these strange markings and the stories of giants, giants here on Malta. Pulling. But how the... Did you know that in what? Texas, rifles can be carried in public without a license? Whereas in Florida, so no open carrying is allowed, except in unique situations like in hunting or fishing. Hours. Hi, I'm Coley on Noir, a pro two-way attorney with over so 2 million much. YouTube subscribers. I don't but how the grooves were made is only part of the mystery because these cartwrights go straight into the Mediterranean. Archaeologists are puzzled by this because divers have to determine that these cartwrights go about 42 meters into the sea, which is about 46 yards. Yeah. One area located on Malta's southwest Transport. coast has so many mysterious so. ruts. A visiting Englishman nicknamed it after the busy Clapham Junction railway station <laughs> in London. Hi, how you doing? Not so bad. All right. To help me find some answers, I've arranged to meet with author Gordon Weston, who wrote a book about the so-called cart ruts in 2010. Gordon, here we are at Clapham Junction. So, you know, lay it on me. Tell me what you think. Well, it's got a, what have you got, a half a lifetime? Absolutely, yes. Basically, you couldn't drive a cart down here. The cart would be wrecked. Early researchers looked at vehicles that would scrape away the rock because that's what it looks like has happened. There was three devices. The first one was a sledge, probably the oldest form of uh, human transport. But they found that the sledge immediately got stuck. So the two other devices have been looked at. Uh, one was a travois, uh, used by the Plains Indians, transport their teepees from camp to camp. The problem is their poles will be wider than these ruts when they touch the ground. The next device is called a slide car. It's a load platform with two runners on it. This fanciful and ridiculous idea, practical experiments and that thing that it just doesn't work. Gordon and I shared several different theories about the origin and purpose of the ruts, ranging from tracks used in the transportation of megalithic stone blocks to irrigation drains. But ultimately, 
every single one of these theories is problematic. Science is useless for this problem. There is no methodology which can be applied scientifically to these rats. There's no way a block could be carried by There's a vehicle. There's no way a block could be carried. Were, um, built. First temple was built in 3500 BC. The wheeled vehicle only just come into existence then. Certainly wouldn't have been on Malta. Malta was still in the deep Neolithic at that point. The presence of these ruts all over Malta is truly inexplicable. And there is one other aspect I took note of at St. George's Bay that baffles me most of all. So in St. George's Bay, in a city called Bersabuja, there are a couple of ruts that go straight into the Mediterranean Sea. Um, they are famous, you're right. It is uh, interesting to see that ruts go into the sea. They also said to have come up on the other side of the bay, but it's now built over. So how do you explain it? More and more, I'm convinced that the people living on Malta were much more technologically advanced than most mainstream scholars believe. But who were they? And how were they connected to ancient stories about so bizarre, one-eyed I'm beginning to believe that these islands have been the home of a highly sophisticated civilization. A civilization that may have actually included extraterrestrials. I'm in the village it. of Crendi, about to meet with Dr. Anthony Bonanno, a professor of archaeology and classical words. literature at the University of Malta. Dr. is one of the foremost experts on Malta's megalithic temples, so I'm excited to have him help me with my investigation. Hopefully, he can bring me closer to finding out whether or not a legendary race of one-eyed giants known as the Cyclops actually existed here, and if there might even be an extraterrestrial connection. I wanted to ask you Text if anyone believes so that those prehistoric temples hours. might have been built by giants. Yes, there is this association, even in Maltese folklore tradition, between the giants and the temples. There is a legend that the Gantia temples in Goda were built by a giantess, a giant woman. Really? Yes. How old do you think the megalithic structures are? I can speak in terms of a bracket. Certainly between 3600 BC and 2500 BC. There have been claims uh, that they could be older. If what Dr. Bonanno suggests is correct, then these Maltese megaliths are at least so 1,000 years older than the Great Pyramid of Giza. But after seeing Malta's mysterious ruts running straight into the sea, I believe they may date back even further. Perhaps I'll find more evidence at the first site Dr. Bonanno is taking me to. The temples of Manidra, located on the rugged and isolated south coast of Malta. This complex consists of three stone structures that are laid out in the pattern of a trefoil. That is to say, structures which have three interconnected circular chambers. Malta is a fairly small island, but... The ratio of how many...
There's a big government scandal going on that you need to know about it. The government is actually stealing money from unsuspecting property owners. The ratio of how many megalithic temples exist here on this island is astounding. So. I, such a small island and that many prehistoric megalithic temples. This is a question which we find difficult to, to answer. The concentration is normally um, attributable to some sort of internal rivalry, uh, which spurred on this mad idea of building one temple after another. Mad idea, I like that. You know, people have been possessed to build this. And people must have had a compelling reason to carry all these stones, to put them into place. Do you think this structure was built with anything astronomical in mind, with observing of the constellations? It has been confirmed that the entrance is actually uh, orientated towards rising sun at the equinoxes. But you have also similar alignments in the solstices where the rays of the rising sun hit the edge of these blocks here. In his paper, Manidra, a calendar in stone, Maltese investigator Paul Mitalev concluded that Manidra was built around 10,200 BC. He came to this conclusion because based on the tilt of the earth at that point in time, on the morning of the summer solstice, a beam of light would have come through the main entrance of the Manidra temple and been cast directly on the center of an altar stone. The only way this could be achieved is if the monolith at Manidra was placed specifically and precisely with the end effect in mind. Now what fascinates me is the fact that megalithic structures can be found all over the world and most were carefully constructed to align with the sun. In Macedonia, for example, there's an ancient site known as the Kokino Observatory, which features four stone thrones at the top of a mountain, positioned to track the solstices and equinoxes. In Machu Picchu, there is a stone temple with three trapezoidal windows also positioned to align with the sun during the solstices and equinoxes. Legends say that by looking through them, the mind can connect with other realms. But perhaps the most fascinating connection of all can be found on the northwest coastline of France. Here, a collection of over 3,000 massive rocks, called the Karnak Stones, align with both the summer and winter solstices. But even more incredible are ancient legends that claim that the standing stones were actually placed there by giants, just like the legends of Wizard. giants we find in Malta. What are some of the biggest Sun blocks that you're aware of that have once existed here? Wizard. We have a much larger stone. Like we have one particular one at, at Hajar-Im, which is um, estimated to weigh about 20 tons. And we have a series of them uh, of the same order uh, up in Chantia in Gozo. It's just mind-boggling, really yeah, amazing yes. stuff. Between cart ruts that go into the sea and a megalithic temple that could date back more than 10,000 years, 
I'm beginning to see just how Malta could connect to stories about a race of one-eyed giants known as the Cyclops. But before I can draw any conclusions, I still need to gather more evidence. I'm exploring the tiny Mediterranean islands of Malta. Looking Look for evidence you. that the legendary Cyclops may have lived here thousands of years ago. As my search for clues continues, Dr. Bonanno is now taking Bonanno. me to the temple of Hajar Imp, which contains what is possibly the largest monolith on the island. Ooh. What does Hajar Imp actually mean? Hajar means stones, and Imp could either be worship or a standing. So, stones of worship or standing stones. Like this one? There you are. Yes. Check this out. This is huge. Yes, sir. Uh, Three meters high by six meters fifty wide and about another meter thick. That makes about twenty odd tons. Minimum. Minimum, yes. Twenty tons is around forty thousand pounds. That's the combined weight of sixteen mid-sized cars. I'm always fascinated by the fact that giant monoliths were erected by various ancient cultures all over the world. For example, you can find them at Stonehenge in England, Tarahunas in southern Armenia, and even as far away as Easter Island. So you have to ask yourself how and why were so-called technologically primitive people erecting these enormous stone monoliths without the help of any large machinery? This is incredible. So, this is one of the largest freestanding stones. I mean, you know, when I see stuff like this, that's one of the ones. How, how did they carry it? How did they, they quarried it in this way? It is Yeah, I mean, so how do you think these stones were brought here? Yeah, they must have been dragged on. I'm curious to see how I, I paid $2,317. Not at all, dude. Without lifting a finger. Go away. They must have been dragged on a spread of roller stones. While some mainstream uh. archaeologists suggest that giant blocks of stone were moved from quarries to the temples with the use of carts that ran along the so-called cart ruts, others claim that they were moved by placing them on the top of stone balls and hauling them across the countryside. Stones have been found at Malta's megalithic temples. It still doesn't explain why an idea. such enormous stones were even used in the first place. You know, when I see this, I mean, it's just this massive rock. But you know, the, the weight—I just don't know if the spheres would have withstood twenty tons, of, yes. because the spheres were, were made of limestone too. And the rough surface would explain why. These spheres were actually different sizes, different diameters, but they have never discovered. Bringing it here and then just yes, you know, it. heaving it up. That is another one, yes. It's like just this obelisk just standing. It's about uh, more than 15 feet, 16 feet tall. I'm still in awe of the size and complexity of Hajarim. I mean, a 17 foot tall monolith? How did supposedly. Stone Age people move something 
enormous. Today, we would use the most advanced of heavy machinery. And so, the idea that some other type of technology was used becomes very plausible. But the idea that these structures today are considered to be temples implies worship, and that they worship the gods. Well, in my opinion, that is when the questioning begins, because we have to then ask ourselves, who were these gods? Something else I would like to well, know. Yeah. I'm excited to explore the interior of Hajarim because there is something I've heard about within this structure that leads some ancient astronaut theorists to believe that this temple dates back much earlier than 3600 BC. If this proves to be true, it could fall in line with the evidence I've already discovered indicate a civilization existed on Malta as far back as 12,000 years ago. Right, uh, so beyond a long corridor, several corridors, we open up into a uh, courtyard flanked by two arches, one on each side, and each arch is accessible through a portal entrance. That's one, and on the opposite side we have another one here, okay, with the usual rope poles, and it is in this place that the famous Venus of Malta, about that size, was discovered. So this is where it was discovered, right, right, okay. According to Dr. Bonanno, many mainstream scholars believe the Venus of Malta is approximately 5,000 years old. But I find that very hard to believe because this clay figurine bears a striking similarity to one I've seen that is much, much older. In 1908, almost 70 years after the Venus of Malta was discovered, a nearly identical statuette was found in Austria called the Venus of Willendorf. It bears uncanny similarities to the Venus of Malta in both subject matter and its exaggerated style. But what I also find truly incredible is that the Venus of Willendorf has been determined to be at least 25,000 years old. The implications of this... Hmm? 15 feet, 16 feet, what happened to her head? I'm still in awe of the size and complexity of Hajarim. I mean, a 17-foot tall monolith? How did supposedly primitive Stone Age people move something this enormous? 17-foot tall monolith? How did supposedly primitive Stone Age people move something this enormous? Today, we would use the most advanced of heavy machinery. And so, the idea that some other type of technology was used becomes very plausible. But the idea that these structures today are considered to be temples implies worship that they worship the gods. Well, in my opinion, that is when the question begins. Because we then ask ourselves, who were these gods? So, what about something else I would like to well, I'm excited to explore the interior of Hagarim because there is something I've heard about within this structure that leads some ancient astronaut theorists to believe 
but this temple dates back much earlier than 3600 BC. If this proves to be true, it would fall in line with the evidence I've already discovered that could indicate a civilization existed on Malta as far back as 12,000 years ago. Dr. Bonanno, many mainstream scholars believe the Venus of Malta is approximately 5,000 years old. But I find that very hard to believe because this clay figurine bears a striking similarity to one I've seen that is much, much older. In 1908, almost 70 years after the Venus of Malta was discovered, a nearly identical statuette was found in Austria called the Venus of Willendorf. It bears uncanny similarities to the Venus of Malta in both subject matter and its exaggerated style. But what I also find truly incredible is that the Venus of Willendorf has been determined to be at least 25,000 years old. The implications of this are truly staggering because if the Venus of Malta is 25,000 years old, then that would suggest that the entire megalithic structure known as Hadrarim could very likely also be from this same era. Now, while I've yet to find concrete proof that the Cyclops really existed here in Malta, I see more and more evidence that the incredible structures here are much older than what most mainstream scholars believe. But what exactly does this all mean? In 1902, a strange underground temple known as the Hypogeum of House Saturnini was discovered on Malta. The first archaeological investigations at the site turned up more than 7,000 skeletons. And according to a National Geographic magazine article from May 1920, many were found to be, and I quote, long skulls. I hope that Mario Casa, an executive of Heritage Malta, can help me find out where the skulls are now, and if there could be a connection to strange legends of one-eyed giants. So tell me how this place is unique in your world. Because if you believe, there are still a lot of questions to be answered. There's no writing at all, no actual history. Nothing to really give us a hint of, of what actually happened here. Gradually, we started to learn more of the site and what happened in these archaeological sites. But they were all over the island, spread out. There were over 33 other megalithic sites, but this is the only one ever found, which is to be underground. It was a burial site. Do you live in Arizona? If yes, then you can get a Segway scooter for free. I got a Segway scooter because I signed up for their reviewer program. 
Tap on the sign up button for a reviewer position and you will get one too. Still available. Breakfasts are either too good to be nutritious or too nutritious to be good.
to get into this knife fight? I'd like to, but you are not serious, Nicole. You're a snake. I hate you. Do you understand? Let's blow it up. I want to hear the opposition. Cut their throats. We are pirates! Hunt for Atlantis, ancient aliens. The local geologist has done a uh, survey for the time and proven that all around the time there was water at, um, at some stage. How did Plato give his measurements? I heard it was something about stadia. It's a Greek measurement and it, and it comes from, um, I think, stadium. The Greek stadium where they had games and things was a standard size. There was a equivalent to 185 meters but he gives specific measurements for the size yeah, of this hill he says it's less than a kilometer wide which this is specific measurements from the first canal which butted up to the walls less of this tunnel. he said that was one stadia wide then there was a large earth embankment that was two stadia wide then another canal that was two stadia wide then an embankment that was three stadia and finally the harbor area which is three stadia the local archaeologist said, yes, that's where they think the armor was. It's very interesting. In your opinion, yeah, how do you think Atlantis was out? built? Well, according to Plato, it was Poseidon. So then, are there any references around here that speak of Poseidon? There is a, a famous uh, Roman villa where there's a big mosaic, which is now in a museum, one of the best in Europe, of Poseidon. According to the ancient astronaut theory, these so-called gods were not gods at all, but flesh and blood extraterrestrials. And if that's true, then Atlantis may not have been a continent, but some kind of an alien base. Shall we go to the next spot? Yeah, let's move on. Let's do it. Plato made it clear that these gods were not some superhuman ethereal being. They were flesh and blood. They were just a little more um, advanced, intelligent. Exactly. And one of the reasons for creating the race was these people would serve them. I think it was built into us in DNA or gene. It was added at the time we were creating to ensure that the people actually worshipped and serves these quote gods. So how do you think this egg that we just saw plays into that whole story? I think the egg is probably just commemorating that and reminding people where they came from. And this is where it all started, here. At least where Atlantis started. Peter, 
thank you very much for sharing all this knowledge with me. I mean, this was truly amazing, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let's head out. Okay. Wow, the clues Peter has identified here have given me a lot to think about. Atlantis, to me, is highly fascinating because in those stories you can read how Poseidon sired an entire race with mortal women. That is what the ancient astronaut theory suggests. That a long time ago, we became who we are today due to a targeted artificial mutation of our genes. And that mutation was done and performed by extraterrestrials. I'm in the mountains of Switzerland near Interlaken, where I'm about to meet the one and only Eric von Daniken, who wrote Chariots of the Gods and 34 additional books challenging human history and conventional archaeology. Eric has invited me to Mystery Park, an educational exhibition dedicated to the ancient astronaut theory. I've collaborated with Eric for over 20 years, and whenever I have a new theory, I always try to run it by him to hear what he has to say. And this... Thanks for 90k! This time, I'm here to talk to him about Atlantis. In your opinion, where do you think the story for Atlantis came from? The whole story which we know from Atlantis came from Plato. Plato's two books, Timaeus and Critio. And there, he quotes an older man with the name Solon. Even though the Greek philosopher Plato wrote the first account of Atlantis that we know of, his account actually revolves around Solon, a great Greek legislator and poet who journeyed to Egypt some 150 years earlier. Plato writes that Solon was in the Egyptian city of Sais in 590 BC, and while in a temple dedicated to the goddess Naif, he was told about a story written on a temple column of the Atlanteans and their military campaign against ancient Egypt and Greece. Unfortunately, remains of this temple have yet to be found. We have some Sumerian cuneiform Egyptian artifacts, but they don't date back more to 2400 BC. So all what was before 2000 BC is destroyed, disappeared, probably because of the Great Flood. And Plato, by the way, he says this. He says that there were destructions of the whole planet, and everything disappeared. In London, we have this uh, stone block called BB444. This is so-called Sumerian kings list. The first ten kings before the Great Flood, they ruled together over 400,000 years. So the story is definitely older than the old Egypt, the Atlantis story. In 1900, Hermann Hilprecht excavated a temple library in the ancient holy city of Nippur, Iraq. Within it, a 4,000-year-old cuneiform tablet was discovered, listing all the Sumerian kings 
since the dawn of time. Since then, at least 18 other versions have been found. Though none are identical, they all seem to derive from one ideal source. According to the Sumerian kings list, the early kings descended from the skies, and each ruled for thousands of years. Then, just as in the book of Genesis, and what some proposed was the fate of Atlantis, cities were swallowed up, and the kings who followed were mortals who ruled for dozens, but no longer for thousands of years. While mainstream scholars maintain that the Sumerian kings list is a mix of fact and mythology, I tend to wonder, what if it is real? It could be evidence that the so-called gods or kings were in fact extraterrestrials. When I was in Portugal, I met with author Peter Daughtry, and in his book he proposed the idea that maybe Atlantis was in this place called Silge. And one of the things that he showed me was this megalithic egg. And on it, it had almost what could be interpreted as a DNA helix. How do you propose that ancient man knew about this DNA? In old Sumerian time, in old Egyptian time, they knew nothing about genetic. They knew nothing about DNA. So who were the teacher again? Who told them? It's always the same question. You have Sumerian so-called cylinder seals. But there you see flying beings, humans with wings. They, by the way, have always watches on their arms. And you see, DNA has always four bases. And if you see closer, the so-called tree of life, and the two winged gods are changing out some of these bases to create something new. Something was changed in the course of evolution. And you can prove this even in old writings. My conversation with Eric definitely blows my mind because what he suggests is that the story of Atlantis may date back thousands of years before Plato and that the people who lived there even had advanced knowledge of genetics. So as I'm looking at all these different ideas for Atlantis, where do you recommend I go next? Go to Santorini. Here, listen around what they tell about Atlantis and what they show you. Perfect. I shall do that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good. Now that I've spoken with Eric, I am more convinced than ever that I'm on the right path. But if Atlantis was indeed an advanced civilization that passed on its technology and knowledge to the local population, what happened to it? Was it destroyed by some natural disaster, like an earthquake or a volcano? Or was it something else, something out of this world? For my last stop, I've traveled to the Greek island of Santorini, an island in the Mediterranean. It is all that remains of a much larger landmass that was destroyed by a huge volcanic eruption thousands of years ago. And there are many who believe it to be the actual location of the lost island of Atlantis. At this point, I'm beginning to think that there may be something much more to the story of Atlantis than anyone can imagine. Something so incredible that I myself can hardly believe it. So, to help me explore my theory, I'm meeting with Greek writer and Atlantis investigator, 
Jonathan Bright. I mean, perfect place to meet. The most magical island in the world, and I can't wait to find out what you have to tell me. So what do you think happened here to Santorini, and when? During the eruption which happened around 1600 BC, this uh, whole part went down. What has convinced many researchers that Santorini was once the actual location of Atlantis is its unique semicircular shape. But although it certainly bears a similarity to Plato's description of a circular island, much of it appears to have been destroyed by a volcano thousands of years ago. Our first stop in Santorini is the ruins of the once wealthy Minoan seaport of Akrotiri. When the volcano here erupted approximately 3,600 years ago, Akrotiri was covered in ash and preserved in time, just like Pompeii in Italy. This is truly amazing. Akrotiri was occupied as far back as 4000 BC, and the ancient buildings here suggest a highly advanced society equipped with surprisingly sophisticated technology for the time. Three-story high buildings featuring hot and cold water, and there's even evidence of four different languages spoken here. But could this really be Atlantis, the mythical city that suddenly vanished in a single day and night? Do you know if any bodies were found here? Like, for example, at Pompeii after the eruption, yeah. after Vesuvius, has something similar been found here in the ash? There are no bodies that have been dug up from this place. Really? No yeah. bodies have been no. dug up? it's kind of a mystery here. I mean, that's very strange. It's as if they had foresight that this eruption might happen. Mm -hmm. The ruins of Akrotiri clearly show evidence of advanced architecture, concepts of an organized society, and perhaps even the knowledge of a pending disaster that might destroy the island. What do you think are some of the most interesting finds that have been discovered here? There are many important uh, frescoes that have been found in the walls. I have some things to say about this, but I would better show you the proper place to take. Let's go. As Jonathan and I are headed over to see the Akrotiri frescoes, I was reminded of the ancient legends about an advanced race of supposedly mythical beings called the Telkines. According to Greek mythology, the Telkines were sea creatures with flippers for hands and heads that looked like dogs. They were eventually destroyed because the so-called gods feared they were becoming too powerful. But what makes the Telkines particularly interesting is that according to legend, it was they who raised Poseidon from childhood and also used their advanced metallurgy skills to make his powerful trident. Is it possible that these hybrid beings were the real architects of Atlantis? Really, really great. The elaborate frescoes at Akrotiri are believed to date from before 1600 BC. Truly something else. Many depict city scenes, a goddess with a winged griffin, and even blue monkeys making offerings. 
very interesting. But what really caught my eye was one that featured a number of mysterious men dressed in feathers, almost like feather cloaks. But were they priests? Kings? Or could they have been depictions of angels or other winged beings like, for example, the Anunnaki? Had I found Atlantis after all? Or something that may have been directly inspired by it? Nevertheless, one thing is certain. Something powerful definitely happened at Akrotiri. The more pieces of the puzzle I gather, the more I get to see the full picture. And I find it interesting that once again, here in Santorini, some things fit Plato's clues about Atlantis, but some don't. The final destination on my hunt for Atlantis is the very top of the island of Santorini. It's a real hike, but the views are definitely worth it. And so are the mysterious megaliths found there. What would compel an ancient people to build such a large complex on top of a mountain? Check out this wall right here. We're on Santorini at the highest peak in an ancient site called Ancient Thera. And this wall right here is, as you can tell, massive. Walls like this not only exist in Greece, but in Italy, in Spain, in Egypt, and halfway across the world in South America. So the fact that this wall exists here as one of the most inaccessible places seems like it is insane. There had to have been a reason why this is here. And that is, what if those stories of the Greek gods descending from the skies really at some point were true? Further down the mountain, I met once again with writer Jonathan Bright and discovered that he has an interesting take on how Santorini might be linked to the legend of Atlantis. This place reminds me of uh, the Enochian story where um, in the beginning we see that uh, a group of angels descends on the summit of a mountain, Mount Hermon, the mythical mount, and like Poseidon, we see in Plato's story that did. And they make children with him. They get children by them. Mount Hermon is in the Golan Heights between Israel and Lebanon. According to the Book of Enoch, a group of so-called watchers descended here and mated with local women. And this is exactly the same story Plato writes about concerning Atlantis, where Poseidon sired an entire race. It happens also that in the place that they call the Wheel of Giants, there is a, a huge monument from 5,000 years old now, mm -hmm. with concentric circles and the high walls of stones. The same tradition that we see related to Atlantis. That's very interesting. And you know, and of course, the legends that are corresponding with this place up here 
are very interesting that something significant, something quote-unquote sacred happened up here a very long time ago. And they weren't angels in the sense as we think of angels today. Meeting with Jonathan and coming to Santorini has helped me to see Atlantis from a whole new perspective. I'm starting to think that what if Plato's stories about Atlantis are directly linked to similar stories about the arrival of the gods that appear to have occurred on mountaintops such as Mount Hermon and other mountains all around the world. I'm also reminded of the Greek legend of Asteria, the titan goddess of falling stars. In order to escape the advances of Zeus, she turned into a quail and then flung herself into the sea where she transformed into a magical island. Jonathan, and if you learn anything new in the hunt for Atlantis, let me know and thank you very much I will. for showing me all these different places. It's been a true nice honor. Thank you very much. Thank you. What an amazing journey. The hunt for Atlantis has taken me to Athens, Portugal, Switzerland, and Santorini, an island in the Mediterranean. And I've had the chance to meet with some really cool researchers. But this last stop has me convinced that the lost city of Atlantis was probably not an island at all, but maybe some sort of a flying craft. Perhaps this is why Atlantis has been reported to have existed at various locations around the globe. Why it seemingly disappeared in one day and one night, and why no evidence of it has ever been found. Could it be that the powerful influence of the Atlantean, perhaps extraterrestrial culture, and highly advanced technology inspired early humans to copy them? To build cities to. on the same spots <clears throat> where their craft once landed and even worship them as gods. Of course, my theory will still require more investigation and hopefully proof. The planet we live on is billions of years old, but we humans walk the Earth for only an instant. Shouldn't we spend our brief time here asking questions? What if we could discover amazing things if only we would just open our eyes, challenge our minds, and pursue the truth in search of aliens. Fucking hours, cussing much, cause it might takes me fucking hours, fucking hours. Cuss as much cause it takes me fucking hours. Fucking hours. Alright, so yeah, that was fucking rad. Um, in search of oh cool. In search of aliens, the mystery of the Cyclops called um, episode six full episodes one year ago history channel it really is possible to get a grant to help you buy a home in arizona arizona's home buying grants and <sighs>
crossing much because it takes me fucking hours. Ancient and mysterious islands in the world, Malta. It was here that a prehistoric society did get to go to the awesome places. These blocks were arranged into complex designs and are considered by scholars to be older than the Great Pyramid in Egypt. But after a period of 1,000 years, all activity on Malta stopped and any trace of the people who built these incredible structures vanished. But why? Fucking hours. There are stories that say Malta was once home to giants and even a oh, race cool. of legendary one-eyed creatures known as Cyclops. Could these stories offer clues as Fucking to what really hours. happened on the islands of Malta? Probably and if so, the could was there also be a connection to ancient astronauts? My name is Giorgio Tsoukalos. Tsoukalos. I explore the world that exists between reality and speculation. The known and the unknown. What we've been taught by mainstream scholars is not the whole picture. But I'm convinced that every day we are one step closer to the truth. Fucking ah. traveled almost 7,000 miles to a place that has puzzled archaeologists for more than a century. Lying just south of Sicily, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, the islands of Malta have been of strategic importance from the times of ancient Greece all the way through to the Second World War. This small and densely populated country covers only 122 square miles, but it is as rich with mystery as any place on Earth. Yeah, the islands of Malta like contain no less than seven megalithic structures, and quite possibly, they are the largest freestanding stones in the world. To this day, archaeologists struggle to explain how ancient people living on secluded islands were able to accomplish such incredible architectural feats. So I'm here to find out if there may be an explanation that the mainstream has not yet considered. One that possibly has a connection to giant one-eyed beings, the Cyclops. In the epic Greek poem, The Odyssey, written by Homer in the 8th century BC, the hero Odysseus encounters a cyclops named Polyphemus, a giant, one-eyed, human-like creature that, according to legend, was the son of Poseidon, the god of the seas. Now, while Homer never specified where the cyclops lived, there are some who believe that the giant monster and others of his kind might have actually dwelled right here within Malta's megalithic structures. Hmm. To begin my investigation, I went to examine Malta's famous so-called cart ruts, which some ancient astronaut theorists refer to as the Nazca lines of Europe. Like the meaning. Because they are just as mysterious. The road. 
there are over 100 sites on Malta that have these ruts or giant pairs of grooves in the rock. Like the ones here at St. George's Bay on Malta's southeast coast. The mainstream theory on how these strange markings were formed is that the wheels of heavily laden carts compressed the limestone over a long period of time. Now, for that theory to be true, the wheels of the carts would have had to be of identical size and width. And they would have had to follow the exact same path over and over and over, never deviating. Otherwise, they would not form such precise ruts. But quite frankly, I think such a notion is nonsense. On average, these cart ruts are about 1.4 meters wide which translates to about four feet and seven inches. So let's see how wide these are. So right here, these are a bit narrower. This is four feet and four inches. And from end to end, we're talking five feet and three inches. So it all depends how wide those tracks are. For example, right here, they're about three and a half inches, or actually three inches in this part. And then up here, and we have seven inches. So if it were just a cart, then one could surmise that the width is the same at all times. So how were these the deep width. and precise grooves made, and why? Perhaps there is a link between pulling. these strange markings and the stories of giants, giants here on Malta. But how the... Did you know that in oh. Texas, rifles can be carried in public without a license? Whereas in Florida, no open carrying is allowed, except in unique situations hours, like in hunting or fishing. Hours. Hi, I'm Colin Noir, a pro two-way attorney with over two million YouTube subscribers. But how the grooves were made is only part of the mystery because these cartlets go straight into the Mediterranean. Archaeologists are puzzled by this because divers have determined that these cartlets go about 42 meters into the sea, which is about 46 yards. One area located on Malta's southwest coast has so many mysterious ruts. A visiting Englishman nicknamed it after the busy Clapham Junction railway station in London. Hi, how you doing? Not so bad. All right. To help me find some answers, I've arranged to meet with author Gordon Weston, who wrote a book about the so-called cart ruts in 2010. Gordon, here we are at Clapham Junction. So, you know, lay it on me. Tell me what you think. Well, it's got a, what have you got, a half a lifetime? Absolutely, yes. Basically, you couldn't drive a cart down here. The cart would be wrecked. Early researchers looked at vehicles that would scrape away the rock because that's what it looks like has happened. There was three devices. The first one was a sledge, probably the oldest form of uh, human transport. But they found that the sledge immediately got stuck. So the two other devices have been looked at. Uh, one was a travois, uh, used by the Plains Indians, transport their teepees from camp to camp. The problem is that poles will be wider than these ruts when they touch the ground. The 
The next device is called the slide car. It's a load platform with two runners on it. This fanciful and ridiculous idea, practical experiments and that thing that it just doesn't work. Gordon and I shared several different theories about the origin and purpose of the ruts, ranging from tracks used in the transportation of megalithic stone blocks to irrigation drains. But ultimately, every single one of these theories is problematic. Science is useless for this problem. There is no methodology which can be applied scientifically to these ruts. There's no way a block could be carried by There's a vehicle. There's no way a block could be carried. Were, um, built. First temple was built in 3500 BC. The wheeled vehicle only just come into existence then. Certainly wouldn't have been on Malta. Malta was still in the deep Neolithic at that point. The presence of these ruts all over Malta is truly inexplicable. And there is one other aspect I took note of at St. George's Bay that baffles me most of all. So in St. George's Bay, in a city called Bersabuja, there are a couple of ruts that go straight into the Mediterranean Sea. Um, they are famous, you're right. It is uh, interesting to see that ruts go into the sea. They also said to have come up on the other side of the bay, but it's now built over. So how do you explain it? More and more, I'm convinced that the people living on Malta were much more technologically advanced than most mainstream scholars believe. But who were they? And how were they connected to ancient stories about bizarre, one-eyed I'm beginning to believe that these islands have been the home of a highly sophisticated civilization. A civilization that may have actually included extraterrestrials. I'm in the village of Crendi, about to meet with Dr. Anthony Bonanno, a professor of archaeology and classical words. literature at the University of Malta. Dr. is one of the foremost experts on Malta's megalithic temples, so I'm excited to have him help me with my investigation. Hopefully, he can bring me closer to finding out whether or not a legendary race of one-eyed giants known as the Cyclops actually existed here, and if there might even be an extraterrestrial connection. I wanted to ask you that's if anyone believes so that those prehistoric temples hours. might have been built by giants. Yes, there is this association, even in Maltese folklore tradition, between the giants and the temples. There is a legend that the Gantia temples in Rosa were built by a giantess, a giant woman. Really? Yes. How old do you think the megalithic structures are? I can speak in terms of a bracket. Certainly between 3600 BC and 2500 BC. There have been claims uh, that they could be older. If what Dr. Bonanno suggests is correct, then these Maltese megaliths are at least so 1,000 years older than the Great Pyramid of Giza. But after seeing Malta's mysterious ruts running straight into the sea, I believe they may date back even further. Perhaps I'll find more evidence at the first site Dr. Bonanno is taking me to. 
The temples of Menydra, located on the rugged and isolated south coast of Malta. This complex consists of three stone structures that are laid out in the pattern of a trefoil. That is to say, structures which have three interconnected circular chambers. Malta is a fairly small island, but the ratio of how many... There's a big government scandal going on that you need to know about it. The government is actually stealing money from unsuspecting property owners. The ratio of how many megalithic temples exist here on this island is astounding, so... I, such a small island and that many prehistoric megalithic temples. This is a question which we find difficult to, to answer. The concentration is normally um, attributable to some sort of internal rivalry, uh, which spurred on this mad idea of building one temple after another. Mad idea, I like that. You know, people have been possessed to build this. And people must have had a compelling reason to carry all these stones, to put them into place. Do you think this structure was built with anything astronomical in mind, with observing of the constellations? It has been confirmed that the entrance is actually uh, orientated towards rising sun at the equinoxes. But you have also similar alignments in the solstices where the rays of the rising sun hit the edge of these blocks here. In his paper, Menydra, a calendar in stone, Maltese investigator Paul Mitalev concluded that Menydra was built around 10,200 BC. He came to this conclusion because based on the tilt of the earth at that point in time, on the morning of the summer solstice, a beam of light would have come through the main entrance of the Menydra temple and been cast directly on the center of an altar stone. The only way this could be achieved is if the monolith at Menydra was placed specifically and precisely with the end effect in mind. Now what fascinates me is the fact that megalithic structures can be found all over the world and most were carefully constructed to align with the sun. In Macedonia, for example, there's an ancient site known as the Kokino Observatory, which features four stone thrones at the top of a mountain, positioned to track the solstices and equinoxes. In Machu Picchu, there is a stone temple with three trapezoidal windows also positioned to align with the sun during the solstices and equinoxes. Legends say that by looking through them, the mind can connect with other realms. But perhaps the most fascinating connection of all can be found on the northwest coastline of France. Here, a collection of over 3,000 massive rocks, called the Karnak Stones, align with both the summer and winter solstices. But even more incredible are ancient legends that claim that the standing stones were actually placed there by giants. Just like the legends of Wizard. giants we find in Malta. What are some of the biggest Sun blocks that you're aware of that have once existed here? We have much larger stone 
we have candle. one particular one at, at Hajar Eim, which is um, estimated to weigh about 20 tons. And we have a series of them uh, of the same order uh, up in Jmantia and Goza. It's just mind-boggling, really amazing yes. stuff. Between cart ruts that go into the sea in a megalithic temple that could date back more than 10,000 years, I'm beginning to see just how Malta could connect to stories about a race of one-eyed giants known as the Cyclops. But before I can draw any conclusions, I still need to gather more evidence. I'm exploring the tiny Mediterranean islands of Malta, looking Lucky for you. that the legendary Cyclops may have lived here thousands of years ago. As my search for clues continues, Dr. Bonanno is now taking Bonanno. me to the temple of Hajarim, which contains what is possibly the largest monolith on the island. What does Hajarim actually mean? Hajar means stones, and Eem could either be worshipped or a standing. So, stones of worship or standing stones. Like this one? There you are, yes. Check this out. This is huge. Yes, uh, three meters high by six meters fifty wide and about another meter thick. That makes about twenty odd tons. Minimum. Minimum, yes. Twenty tons is around. 40,000 pounds. That's the combined weight of 16 mid-sized cars. I'm always fascinated by the fact that giant monoliths were erected by various ancient cultures all over the world. For example, you can find them at Stonehenge in England, Karahunj in southern Armenia, and even as far away Island. So you have to ask yourself how and why were so-called technologically primitive people erecting these enormous stone monoliths without the help of any large machinery? This is an incredible stone. This is one of the largest freestanding stones. I mean, you know, when I see stuff like this, that's when I want how, how did they carry it? How did they decor it in this way? It is Yeah, I mean, so how do you think these stones were brought here? Yeah, they must have been dragged on. Curious to see how I, I got paid $2,317. Not at all, dude. Without lifting a finger. Go away. Yeah, they must have been dragged on a spread of roller stones. While some mainstream archaeologists suggest that giant blocks of stone were moved from quarries to the temples with the use of carts that ran along the so-called cart ruts, others claim that they were moved by placing them on the top of stone balls and hauling them across the countryside. But while it's true that a number of spherical stones have been found at Malta's megalithic temples, it still doesn't explain why an idea. such enormous stones were even used in the first place. See this. I mean, it's just this massive rock. You know, the, the weight, I just don't know if the spheres would have withstood weight. 20 tons of, yes. because the spheres were, were made of limestone too. And the rough surface would explain why these spheres were actually different sizes, different diameters, but they have never discovered. Bringing it here and then just, you yes, know, heaving it up.
I'm still in awe of the size and complexity of Azraim. I mean, a 17-foot-tall monolith? How did supposedly primitive Stone Age people move something this enormous? Today, we use the most advanced of heavy machinery. And so, the idea that some other type of technology was used becomes very plausible. Idea that these structures today are considered to be temples implies worship, and that they worship the gods. Well, in my opinion, that is when the questioning begins, because we have to then ask ourselves, who were these gods? Oh, is that something else I would like? Yeah. Yeah. I decided to explore the interior of Hajarim because. There is something I've heard about within this structure that leads some ancient astronaut theorists to believe that this temple dates back much earlier than 3600 BC. If this proves to be true, it could fall in line with the evidence I've already discovered that could indicate a civilization existed on Malta as far back as 12,000 years ago. Dr. Bonanno, many mainstream scholars believe the Venus of Malta is approximately 5,000 years old. But I find that very hard to believe because this clay figurine bears a striking similarity to one I've seen that is much, much older. In 1908, almost 70 years after the Venus of Malta was discovered, a nearly identical statuette was found in Austria called the Venus of Willendorf. It bears uncanny similarities to the Venus of Malta in both subject matter and its exaggerated style. But what I also find truly incredible is that the Venus of Willendorf has been determined to be at least 25,000 years old. The implications of this... Hmm? What happened to her head? I'm still in awe of the size and complexity of Hazraim. I mean, a 17-foot-tall monolith? How did supposedly primitive Stone Age people move something this enormous? I mean, a 17-foot-tall monolith? How did supposedly primitive Stone Age people move something this enormous? Today, we would use the most advanced of heavy machinery. And so the idea that some other type of technology was used becomes very plausible. The idea that these structures today are considered to be temples implies worship, and that they worship the gods. Well, in my opinion, 
That is when the questioning begins. Because we then ask ourselves, who were these gods? So, what was something else I would like to know? to explore the interior of Hagaim because there is something I've heard about within the structure that leads some ancient astronaut theorists to believe that this temple dates back much earlier than 3600 BC. If this proves to be true, it would fall in line with the evidence I've already discovered that could indicate a civilization existed on Malta as far back as 12 thousand years ago. Right. Uh, so, we only need a long corridor, covered corridor, we open up into a uh, courtyard, flanked by two passes, one on each side, and this map is accessible through a portal entrance. That's why, when we, on the opposite side, we have another one here. Okay, we have the usual rope poles, and it is in this place that the famous Venus of Malta Outside, we have discovered. So, this is where it was discovered. Right, right, right. According to Dr. Bonanno, many mainstream scholars believe the Venus of Malta is approximately 5,000 years old. But I find that very hard to believe because this place figurine bears a striking similarity to one I've seen that is much, much older. In 1908, almost seven years after the Venus of Malta was discovered, a nearly identical statuette was found in Austria called the Venus of Willendorf. It bears uncanny similarities to the Venus of Malta in both subject matter and its exaggerated style. But what I also find truly incredible is that the Venus of Willendorf has been determined to be at least 25 thousand years old. The implications of this are truly staggering because if the Venus of Malta is 25,000 years old, then that would suggest that the entire megalithic structure known as Hagarim could very likely also be from this same era. Now what I've yet to find concrete proof that the Cyclops really existed here in Malta evidence that the incredible structures here are much older than what most mainstream scholars believe. But what exactly does this all mean? In 1902, a strange underground temple known as the Hypogeum of House Saturnini was discovered on Malta. The first archaeological investigations at the site turned up more than 7,000 skeletons. And according to a National Geographic magazine article from May 1920, many were found to be, and I quote, long skulls. I hope that Mario Kasha, an executive of Heritage Malta, can help me find out where the skulls are now, and if there could be a connection to strange legends of one-eyed giants. So tell me how this place is unique in the world. Today, there are still a lot of questions to be asked. There's no writing at all, no official history, um, nothing to really give us a hint of, of what actually happened here. Gradually, we started to learn more of the sites and what happened in these archaeological sites that they were all over the island, spread out. 
over 33 and then megalithic sites, but this is the only one ever found, which is today underground. It was a burial site. Do you live in Arizona? If yes, then you can get a Segway scooter for free. I got a Segway scooter because I signed up for their reviewer program. Tap on the sign up button for a reviewer position and you will get one too. Still available. Breakfasts are either too good to be nutritious or too nutritious to be good. Thank you. 
go and check out the archaeology museum here in Valletta because who knows, maybe they will allow me to see those skulls. of a complex it is with spiral staircases and different levels and all hewn out of the bedrock. I mean, how cool is this? It's interesting to come up with different ideas, but once you see the whole extent of it, some explanations all of a sudden don't make any sense. It's really cool stuff. Museum holds interesting artifacts from Malta's megalithic sites, including the remains of what looks like the statue of a giant female and even an oversized cup. But today I'm here to investigate the mysterious skulls. Yeah, the professor at the Hypogeum, they actually recommended I should come and talk to you about some skulls that have been found there. So, would you allow me to see those? Suture. But how and why? 
Mistrals are referred to as elongated parts, but without this particular structure, seems to be longer, which is quite unusual. And I know there is quite a lot of mystery. You were cut out by the rocks. What does it take for things for us? It's part of what Sandy's doing with Pierce. I thought he'd get into this knife fight. I love you, but you are not serious, you know. You're a snake. I hate you. Do you understand that? Let's blow it up. I want to shut the opposition. Cut that throat. We are pirates! Doing any DNA testing on you to determine the origin and things like that? Unfortunately, 